0: the online marketing show every day with joseph bushnell helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic improving conversion rates increasing customer value and getting things done fast listen take action make money
1: Hi, welcome to the online marketing show. This is Joey Bushnell. Today's special guest is best-selling business author, Michael Port. Go to michaelport.com to find out more. Hi, Michael. Hi, how are you? I'm doing just great, thank you, and uh, thank you very much for taking the time out to come on the show today. Just before we begin, I'm just going to give a quick introduction for you, Michael, and then we'll dive into the content. Michael has been called an uncommonly honest author by the Boston Globe and a marketing guru by the Wall Street Journal. Michael is a New York Times best-selling author of four books, including Book Yourself Solid, beyond book solid the contrarian effect and the think big manifesto michael is a contributing editor and writes a monthly column on sales and marketing for entrepreneur magazine and another one for american express open forum and he can be seen regularly on nsnbc cnbc and njn he receives the highest overall speaker ratings at conferences all around the world and according to the average number of google searches Michael is the fifth most popular business coach in the world why because this is his mission to rally you to think bigger about who you are and what you can offer to the world so Michael many accomplishments there could you let us know a little bit about yourself how you got to this stage in your life where you're now one of the world's most popular business coaches what was your journey
0: well uh, I, I started as a uh, as a very dyslexic kid uh, in school who had trouble sitting through classes. And, um, and, you know, my, my father was worried that I wasn't going to amount to much because he could barely get me to read even the Hardy Boys mm-hmm. when I was a kid. But, um, uh, my, they persevered. And, and since I wouldn't read, they read to me every day from, until I was about 10 or 11 years old. And, um, you know, I wasn't very academic as a child. So, uh, when I was in college, I needed something to do, uh, you know, something to focus myself on because otherwise I was just sort of spinning my wheels, floundering around and I found acting and I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. And then I went to graduate school for acting at NYU and I had a career as an actor and I had a modicum of success. Uh, I was on the shows that, um, you know, most people watched in the nineties. Um, and then I left because, uh, I was just very frustrated with the industry and the work, and I wasn't, you know, I was very, very impatient, and I wanted more, faster, and I didn't like that other people could make decisions for me. I'm, you know, I'm a very typical entrepreneurial type who wants to be in control of his destiny, and and that's not the easiest thing in the world to do as an actor until uh, you become the most famous actor. Then you've got, you know, a lot of control, so uh, I left, and I uh, actually went into business, and... Um, I worked my way up in the corporate world, and uh, I, you know, again, it, all my learning disabilities and my dyslexia and the things that you would think would would uh, would really be problematic for me in the corporate world um, actually worked to my advantage because since I didn't, I couldn't figure out how they got things done. Uh, the systems were difficult for me to wrap my mind around. They were the way they were organized didn't make sense to me. I just made them up on my own. I sort of recreated um uh, a lot of the systems that existed in the industry that I was in and and um and uh and I had a blank piece of paper in a beginner's mind I I mean I knew nothing about it before I got there and it turned out that a lot of the things I was coming up with worked uh, that were they were actually simpler um and so I, I was fortunate and I did well and and then again uh there was a, I hit the glass ceiling and you know unless you were the owner you know you were sort of you know I mean, there wasn't really any room to grow so I said, I'm going out on my own, I'm going to start a consultancy, I'm going to serve that industry. Um, then uh, it, you know, it all went from there, but you know, any, anybody that's doing any kind of consulting, uh, you know, first thing you realize is that if you want to be really, really successful and well-known as a consultant, you probably need to write books and give speeches. And uh, so I thought I should try my hand. Speeches were easy because I was an actor. That was, you know, for me. That was an absolute, you know, no brainer, super easy. And then the writing um, was something that I was nervous about because I, I didn't like it as a child. But I actually found that I was a good storyteller, and uh, when I when I finally started writing in my own voice, um, I could write in a way that was um, in service to the people uh, that I was um, trying to support, and um, and I developed the habit again, of writing, and I think that's an important part of writing, is developing the habit of writing every single day. And um, I turned into um, an author and a speaker, and that's where we are now.
1: So what was your first book, Michael?
0: My first book was called Book Yourself Solid, um, and then my second was Beyond Booked Solid. So the first is about how to get as many clients as your heart desires. The second book, Beyond Booked Solid, is, well, what do you do when you've got some clients, but you feel like you're just trading your time for money and want to build something that's bigger, more leveraged, more scalable, more profitable, um, maybe even more remarkable. And then my third book was called The Contrarian Effect, Why It Pays Big to Take Typical Sales Advice and Do the Opposite. And then my fourth book, uh, my most recent book, was called The Think Big Manifesto, um, think you can't change your life and the world think again and that that that's not a business book per se but of course it's applicable to business because you want to do anything in the world in a big way um you know that book's going to help you
1: so the focus of today's call is going to be mainly on your book book yourself solid It's the first of your books that I read, and I loved it. I think it's the title that grabbed me. It's just a fantastic headline, uh, and I needed it personally. I wanted to be book solid as an internet marketing consultant. So, Michael, if that's okay, that's what we'll be discussing today. Sounds great. All right, so one of the first principles in the book was something you called the red velvet rope policy. What is that?
0: Yeah, the the red velvet rope policy. I mean, The idea behind the red velvet rope policy is that um, I think there are certain people you're meant to serve and others that you're not. And if you start a business uh, for yourself, why would you work with anybody that um, that didn't energize and inspire you? Anybody that, you know, drained your energy, and felt like you wanted to do bodily harm to someone. <laughs> I mean, why would you do it? It just yeah. doesn't make any sense. And so, of course, I understand, you know, when you start a business, and even later on down the road, you know, sometimes you just need to pay the bills. You just want to, you know make as much money as you can. And I get that. But, you know, if that's the main focus with respect to how you're selecting your clients. It's you're going to wind up feeling like you've got this job that was worse than the job you had when you worked inside the corporate, you know, uh, arena. Sure. And so I think mean, it takes a lot of courage to create this red velvet rope, which is a filtration system that allows in only the most ideal clients, the people that energize and inspire you. And then, of course, most importantly, allow you to do your best work. Because what happens, you know, out in the world when you're doing your best work? Two things. First, the people that you're doing your best work with are out in the world talking about your best work, which brings in more business. Number two, you love every minute of the work you're doing, so you want to do more of it. And if you want to do more of it, then you'll do more marketing. And oftentimes, Uh, A lot of new business owners, you know, focus primarily on learning their craft or, you know, developing their products and services, um, and they don't really want to be out there marketing a lot, and that's understandable. And so, if you have any resistance to marketing and selling, um, you know, working with dud clients is going to increase that resistance. In a negative way, you want to remove that resistance. You want to actually fall in love with the idea of marketing and sales. I mean, that that's the
1: goal. So, what would you do if you've got clients who you have already and you're already serving, but it's not going too well? What would we do in that scenario?
0: Well, first, I would always try to see if, you know, I'd take a look and say, well, maybe they were ideal when they came in, but something happened. And I didn't manage the relationship well, something changed in the dynamic. Um, Because oftentimes it's our responsibility um, to set expectations and to manage expectations so that the working relationship stays as ideal as possible. And if we haven't been doing that, then maybe we can revisit that. Um, If we have been trying to do that and it's really just not not going anywhere and we decide, yep, they are a dud client, and there's nothing wrong with them per se, but just they're dud for you. Maybe they're ideal for somebody else. Again, I mean, that's this philosophically, I believe, that there are certain people we're meant to serve and others that we're not. And we should work hard to find the people we're meant to serve and not worry about the people we're not meant to serve. And, you know, and make it, make it in sort of a, uh, an easy, you know, uh, an easy process of, uh, of, um, of, uh, working relationships with your clients. And so if you have somebody that's not ideal, I think it's fine to, you know, fire them and you know you're not going to them and say listen i just heard michael port and i realized that you are not ideal so you know kiss off right you're not you know you're not you're not doing that you're very respectfully and gracefully and uh you know su- suggesting that i don't think i'm the best person to serve you anymore yeah and i actually have a whole bunch of referrals uh... for you and and you know maybe these folks can can serve you better that's certainly one approach you can also just say yeah, i'm going in a different direction with my business right now um, and i'm not able to do that work uh... with you anymore or um, you know i'm cutting back on certain hours i mean you know those are tiny little white fibs i think that are political in nature so they save uh... face for your client so that you don't have to get into a conflict with them because if you if you avoid these issues you're eventually going to get into a conflict with them and it's going to blow up and you're going to be the bad guy and then they're out in the world talking about what a bad guy you are.
1: You don't want that. Of course not, no. So Michael, when we narrow down, how do we decide on the type of client that we do want? What sort of questions should we be asking ourselves?
0: I think you look at the values of the people with whom you do your best work. The qualities that allow, that really energize and inspire you. Not necessarily their circumstances, because circumstances change, but qualities or values of a person are intrinsic. They are inherent in that individual, and they don't change. They may be expressed, you know, more sometimes versus other times, but uh, for the most part, uh, they are who that person is. And those qualities are what allow you to do your best work. And so the circumstances therein will change. And so I don't think we pay attention to that. I think we pay. We we identify three or five values or qualities that really allow us to do our best work. So I know that I do very, very well with clients that are naturally collaborative. So they like to do collaborative projects. They like to work with other people. They like to um, collaborate with marketing partners. It also uh, generally means that they like to uh, network with others, that they believe that um, others are the ones who contribute most to their success. And a lot of the marketing that I teach um, suggests that that's the case and it exploits that concept. It leverages that concept. And so that's just one of the qualities that I look for in a person. And if sure. I see that, then I go, hmm, that person may be ideal for me. Also, and the last thing I'll say is think about how this changes the entire sales conversation when you do have a sales conversation. See, I think that one of the reasons that the whole Book Yourself Solid system works so well is because you have sales conversations at the appropriate time. If you have sales conversations too soon, They generally don't work because you have not yet earned the proportionate amount of trust needed to make that particular sales offer. So all sales offers must be proportionate to the amount of trust that we've earned. And if you follow the book, Yourself Solid System, and you'll see in the book itself there are a number of different modules that you work through you build a foundation, you learn how to build trust and credibility, you learn how to price your offers, how to have sales conversations, and then you learn the seven core self-promotion strategies because those seven core self-promotion strategies will create awareness for who you are and what you offer. They don't get you clients. That's the big myth in marketing, right? Marketing self-promotion does not get you business, it gets you awareness, hopefully. And that awareness can be converted into clients over time if you have a, have a sales cycle in place, if you have a plan for building trust and credibility. So you use those 7 core self-promotion strategies. People become aware of your offers. Then they move through your foundation and they feel like, oh, this is good, this is secure. I feel like I can uh, stand here you know, comfortably without the thing falling apart. Then they'll do that. They'll step onto your foundation and they'll give you an opportunity to earn their trust. But that's just an opportunity. You want to turn that opportunity into a sales uh, uh, conversation, but over time. So if you have a plan for building trust and credibility, and that's what the second module in Book Yourself Solid is all about, how you build trust with somebody over time, then you can make sales offers over time that are proportionate to the amount of trust that you've earned over time. And so when you have the sales conversation, it, they basically are, are, are uh, raise their hand and say to you, I- I'm ready to have a sales conversation. I think you're great. I think I trust you. You know, I've got real faith and confidence that you're going to be able to help me? I just have a couple quick questions and a sales conversations is really easy, but in the sales conversation, one of the things you're able to do if that person is an ideal client is you're able to say to them, you know, you're my ideal client. And they'll pause and they'll say, what do you mean? Because that's not something they've probably heard before. And you'll say, Oh, well, you're somebody with whom I do my best work. And they will say, really? Why? And you'll say, well, cause I've noticed that you are collaborative that you're bright, meaning you're easily excitable. And that, you know, really, really energizes, inspires me, allows me to do my best work. Um, You know, you've got a high degree of accountability, just naturally. You do what you say you're going to do. That allows me to do my best work, et cetera, et cetera. And so because of who you are, I'm able to do really my best work with you, which gets you really the most remarkable results that you can possibly get. Now, if you're a buyer of, you know, services, who are you going to hire? The person that works with anybody that has a pulse and a checkbook or the person that does their best work with somebody like you because of who you are as a human being? The values that you know, are, are, are front and center in your you know, personality. And I think the answer is obvious.
1: Michael, in the book you talk about having a real understanding of your target market. You talk in depth about how we need to really identify who our target market is and who they are as a person, what their interests are, and what their personality type is. So could you just explain to us, first of all, the importance of really understanding our target market, and also how we can actually come to understand them?
0: Yeah, well, look, you know, it's interesting because oftentimes when people uh, think they have a target market, they might not actually even have a target market, meaning it might be way too big. It's not really a target market. It's just sort of big, big, big group of a whole bunch of maybe, you know, people that they've put together and called it a target market. So um, mm-hmm. when you're starting a business, you want to be very, very targeted. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Oprah doesn't need to be targeted so much anymore because Oprah is Oprah. You know, even Tony Robbins is a self-help guru. doesn't need to really even have a target market uh, the way that somebody who's brand new would because he's really famous. You know, he can mm-hmm. – everybody knows who he is. It's a lot easier for him to – you know, to earn credibility. But look, there are three reasons uh, why you need a target market. And I think this will help, you know, really explain this. Number one, because you'll know where to find them. When you do your marketing, half the battle in marketing is knowing where to market. Because this is a big world we live in. I mean, and if you do a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there, the aggregate of it is not gonna amount to much. Your success in creating awareness is in large part based on the aggregate of your marketing over time. And if you keep showing up in the same place for the same people, you can, you, you can earn capital a lot faster. You get like compound interest return. So that's number one. You know where to market. Uh, and that, that, that's very important. So you go, okay, I know that they belong to these associations. They read these publications. They go to these events. They're influenced by these individuals, That's number one. So you know where to find them. Number two, second reason you need to target market is because when you do find them and you show up there, they know you're dedicated to them, period, full stop. Not everybody in the world, but them. And that makes them a lot more comfortable because, look, you blow your knee out. Who do you want doing this surgery? You want a general practitioner doing your knee surgery or you want a specialist who's dedicated his entire career and life to knee surgeries? Yeah, good point. Right. Same concept. And then finally, thirdly, if you know where to find them and when you show up there, then they know you're dedicated to them. The third reason you need a target market is because they already have established networks of communications. They already have established networks of communications, meaning they can spread your messages for you. So when you go, again, remember the aggregate of your marketing is the key. So if you're in the same place, continuously, uh, then you'll start to get, you know, paid, paid attention to. And so if, you, if you're marketing in the same places and they start to like you and you're doing your best work with them
1: because you're working
0: with these ideal clients, then they'll start to spread your messages for you and they'll spread fast. They'll spread quickly. And that's what you really want. So if there is no network of communication already established, if there's no way that they're already communicating with each other, it's not a target market. To me, that's the litmus test that I use. It's a target market if they are already talking to each other. Now, you might decide you're going to create your own network of communication, but you're going to do so in a target market that already has networks of communications established. You're just going to make another one for them. But if you're looking at this target market that you've come up with and you can't find any network of communication where they're already talking to each other, then I don't think you've got a target market. So if they don't have any associations that link them together, if there are no publications that are serving them, if there are no groups or clubs that they belong to, um, no events that they go to uh, as a group in a consistent manner and and that have ways of communicating with each other through those uh, groups and associations and um, environments, et cetera, uh, then it's not a target market. So that's what you're looking for.
1: Okay, so once we've found that target market and we've identified who they are and we understand them, the next step you talk about in your book is personal branding. Can you tell us a little bit about why it's so important to develop our own personal brand and how we can actually go about doing that? What practical steps can we take?
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, when you hear people talk about branding, you often think of, you know, business cards and logos and all those kind of things. And and, and that's that's right. I mean, that's an extension and an expression of your brand identity. Um, but I think, especially when you're trying to brand an individual and, in a lot of businesses, uh, even if you're building a large business, that's going to have lots of people working for it. Um, you might brand an individual figurehead in that business, um, who represents the the company, but, uh, each, each one of us, regardless of where we're working or who we're working for, or whether it's uh, who we're working for ourselves or for somebody else, should I think develop a personal brand identity, a way that, a way that we decide how we get known in the world and we no one can ever take that away from us and it can tra- it can go with us wherever we want to go i think that's lar- very very important uh, so i i i i have three components to a personal brand identity that i believe are important to consider because th- this is how somebody considers you when they consider you this is this, these first two components, especially, are how people consider you when they consider you. So when somebody considers you, they want to know who you serve and what you help them do or achieve. I mean, you know, because they want to make sure they're not wasting their time, that they're in the right place. Does this person help me get exactly what I want? So that's that's what I call your who and do what statement. This is not some kind of like scripted speech or pitch I'm talking about. I, just so that you they very, very clear about who you serve and what you help them do. I call it a "who and do what" statement. Who you serve is your target market, and what you help them do or achieve is the number one big result that you help them get. I'm sure your business helps lots and lots of people get lots and lots of different things, but do you have one thing that you can hang your hat on? And I think, especially um, uh, service businesses, should have one big thing that they hang their hat on, one big result um, that they help their client their clients get. So for me, it's booked solid. That's the that's what I hang, you know, my hat on. And you know, and have have built uh, you know uh, um, most of my brand around. So that's number one. Okay. Number two is uh, see, there's there's always a number two because when somebody you know looks at you and they say, oh well, good, this person helps me get just what I want. They go, okay, great, that's fine. But it's not enough. It's not enough because there are, are other people who will help them get just what they want. Same thing. Other people who do what you do. So that piece of the branding is it lets them know they're in the right place. They go, okay, good. This is what I want. Great. But the second piece is what they consider next. And they may consider it, you know, consciously, and they may be, you know, more unconscious in the way that they're considering it. But they do consider it nonetheless. They want to know why you do it. They want to know why you get up every day to do this work. And this is what you stand for. This is where you make the all-important Emotional connection to them. So, you know, if if my who and do what statement is you know is helping service business owners get clients, and I can be that broad now because the business has grown to such an extent that I'm well known enough to be broad. But when I started, I just worked with fitness professionals. That was that because I had some experience in that industry, and then I added in um, health and wellness professionals. Once I got booked solid with fitness professionals, and then once I felt really book solid in the health and wellness industry. And I started adding in financial services, et cetera, et cetera, because you can do that over time. As you grow, you've earned that, I think, privilege. But when you're starting, you want to be more specific. But now for me, you know, I can work with uh, all service business owners. I I get that. I get, I've, I've earned that privilege, I believe, but I'll help them get book solid. So very clear, very specific. But the reason I get, uh, the reason I do this, the reason I get up every day to do this work is because I want to help them think bigger about who they are and what they offer the world. Now, that is much broader than the who and do what statement. Right? It's much bigger. Lots of people want to think bigger about who they are and what they offer the world. But you can't sell services to just lots of people, to just anybody in the world. It's not. Uh, it's not specific enough. They will not feel like you are dedicated to them. Uh, so your your why you do it statement can be broader, can be bigger, it can be something that is more emotional. You know, you could stand for love or for you know romance or for uh, you know, democratic access to education or for integrity or for justice, um, peace. You know, there's lots of different things you can stand for. Again, one big thing that you can hang your hat on in that area. And then you can turn that into a tagline, and that would be the third component of the personal brand identity. And, and so I turned my why I do it statement of wanting to help people think bigger about who they are and what they are for the world. I turned that into a tagline so that I'm the guy to call when you're tired of thinking small. Now, I don't introduce myself as such. <laughs> Hi, I'm Michael. I'm the guy to call you're tired of thinking small. That would just be ridiculous. But it's in my marketing materials. It's, you know, it, it's something that you can feel Anytime you come listen to me give a speech, it's something that you can, you know, every time you read my books, you're getting the sense of, ah, oh, I could do bigger, I could be bigger, I could think bigger, I could play bigger, I don't have to be afraid of bigger, all of those kind of things. Um, and so then people start to refer to me, you know, as that. Like, oh, you got to go to Michael, he'll help you think bigger. Oh, you got to, you want to, you need clients, go to Michael because he's going to help you think bigger. So they, they, it, it all it all connects to each other, and you can do the same if you, can ha- if you can come up with a who and do what statement, which is who you serve and what you help them do, a why you do it statement, which is just why you get up every day to do this work, and then can you turn that why you do it statement into a tagline um, you know that represents you in a fun, clever way. You don't even have to come up with a tagline. I mean, I don't even think that's so important, as long as you know... Uh, as long as you have a why-you-do-it statement so that you can at least express that. And your taglines don't have to be that clever. They don't have to rhyme. They don't have to be sexy. They just have to be true. I mean, truth is what wins when it comes to branding. Because, for example, when you you do what I've done for as long as I've done it, you get a lot of people stealing your stuff. I mean, that's just the nature of the world, unfortunately. Until there's a cure for selfishness, that's always going to be there. It's going to be a problem. And sometimes my attorney will have to send a you know, cease and desist letter and sometimes I just say, uh, well, no, don't, don't worry about it. There's nothing, you know, just let that one go. And, and the reason I bring that up is because I've seen a lot of people steal the tagline, the guy to call when you're tired of thinking small. And I think, oh, that's interesting um, because, because I, I think that if you have to steal a tagline, then you're probably not really the guy to call when you're tired of thinking small. And he, as clever as that may be, it's not going to resonate with the people that, uh, you know, uh, that that person is trying to market to because it won't be true. Sure. I don't think the guy to call you or tired of thinking small steals taglines. Sure. So I, you know, that, so on one hand, I don't think you, you, don't have to be that original. I mean, it doesn't have to be so original, it, uh, uh, but it, it just has to be true. I mean, I think that's the key, you know? And on the other hand, it doesn't have to rhyme or be really fancy. It just has to be true. So, um, so the truth is what I think wins the day when it comes to uh, your personal branding as long as you can really take a stand for something, you know, so you can show up in the world in a way that, you know, is positive and not a stand for something negative. Like, I stand against this, right? I stand against this. I stand against this. You know, you got to stand for something if you want to people follow you in a really positive
1: way. And that's all, like you said, based on authenticity. Yeah, Absolutely. So we've built a solid foundation to work from, and you alluded to this earlier, Michael, that as a service provider, you have to be trustworthy and credible. In the book, you do mention a few things, you know, the bare minimum criteria that we need to have in place if people are to take us seriously. So can you let us know a little bit about that? How can we make sure that we look the part and that we are worthy of people's trust?
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, You you said looking the part. It's an interesting um, statement because I think there's a lot of truth in that. Sometimes, um, people have a a visual expectation of what, uh, a particular type of service provider looks like. And they want you to look that way. You know, they want their fitness trainer to show up looking fit. They want their financial advisor to show up looking like someone who has their finances really together. Now, I don't know exactly what that's supposed to look like, but people have an idea of what that's supposed to look like. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, uh, I think that's certainly very, very important. And you got to be honest with yourself um, about um, that. And you know, and you know, are, do you dress? Uh, do you groom yourself? Do you uh, present yourself um, at the highest level, at the highest end of your target audience? Because the key to remember is that your target audience is the one who you should be considering, not just what, um, what, what you think you're supposed to look like. Meaning, you know, if you're trying to serve 20-somethings who are like really sort of hip, young professionals in, you know, in the creative arts, and you show up wearing a pinstripe suit every time you see them, they just might not connect to you. No matter how lovely your, you know, $2,500 pinstripe suit is, they want you to look like them. Potentially. So, you know, so that, that's always something to consider. Um, but, you know, even the most basic things, like your email address, um, juicytushy at AOL.com, just not going to cut it. Unless maybe you're yeah. teaching salsa dancing or something. But, you know, that's just, you know, Bob uh, and Sally at 123 at, you know, um, yahoo.com. It's really funny that, that actually because yesterday my, my girlfriend is moving from California to come live with me. And she needs to move her health insurance from California to Pennsylvania. And you know what a pain, well, you actually, if you're not in the States, you don't know what a pain health insurance is. But, it's, um, but yeah, it's pretty much a nightmare dealing with health insurance here. And so she wanted to find somebody to, to you know, a broker to, to help find a plan for her. And so I said, Oh, yeah, I'd worked with this broker a couple of years ago. You maybe check him out. I, I don't, you know, he was fine. I don't have a lot of experience with him, but check him out. She goes, What's his email address? So I looked it up. His email address was like Eagle. And then a few numbers at Comcast, you know, dot net. And um and she laughed and, and I said, What's so funny? She goes obviously he hasn't read your books. <laughs> you know, I said, Yeah, <laughs> you make a really good point, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean he should have, you know, his, his his business name and his email address. I mean it's or, you know or at least just his name. Like, yeah. you know, it's really, really simple. You wanna send me a question, you send a questions at Michaelport dot com. You don't send it to, you know, um, you know i don 't know Cash is king underscore three four six, Bob and Sal. just you know at yahoo.com you don 't have some ridiculous emails so that's one. Your website is of course, incredibly important. I used to say you know five years ago that if you had a template website, you were in big, big trouble, uh, but now, nowadays, uh, templates, which are called themes, right they 've been upgraded to themes, are, are, are beautiful, and you can get fantastic ones but um, but you know, all of the materials that you present to the world must look in the in the in the way that your target audience expects them to look, and I think that's important. Always remember what what will make them feel comfortable uh, in terms of what I'm putting out in front of them, uh, and that's the that's the question you want to keep asking because these are the sort of standard credibility builders that will either open the door or close the door. And um, and if there's anything that feels a little bit um, uncomfortable to them, then the door just gets closed and they don't go any
1: further. What about testimonials? You do briefly mention them in the book. What does a really solid testimonial look like?
0: Well, I, there are five. When you, do, when you want to testimony, most testimonials you see are like, you know, yay, Joey was great, and then, you know, the initials, you know, MP, right? That's not telling me anything. In fact, I just think Joey made that up, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if a testimonial for Joey had these five elements in it, number one, the person wrote, you know, uh, here's what I went in search of when I, you know, I had this problem and I wanted to go try to find a solution and this is what the problem was, right? That's number one. Number two, they say, and here's why I picked Joey to help solve that problem. Number three, here's what Joey and I did, or here's what Joey did for me, or here's right? here's the protocol that we went through. Here's what happened. Number four, here's the results that I got from working with Joey. And number five, here's why I love Joey. Here's why I think Joey is the best. Either I love or the best should be used in that last part of it because it's how people generally refer. And you don't even need to you know for the most part tell them to use those words they'll just use them if they if you give them this framework because that's how they like to talk uh, about the people that have done great work for them so if you go to uh, michaelport.com uh, that's michaelport.com you know when you click on the, there's a in the top right corner you'll see uh, something that says private mentoring with michael and uh, just click on that because you'll see a webpage that has all these testimonials on the left side and they're very long. I mean, they're, you know, they might be 16 inches long because people have written these very very long testimonials using those five, you know, that that framework with those five parts to it. Um because I asked them to. I didn't ask them like really what long ones, but once they got into it they kept going and they were so detailed and so incredibly uh specific that anybody who's reading them, you know, would think, "God, it'd be crazy not to go and do this work with him." But I don't the reason I say go to that page is because you'll see how they're laid out. I don't put them all 16 you know, inches or whatever is on there. Uh, I have them just one paragraph and then a button where you can expand it. So there might be 20 testimonials on the left side of that page. Uh, and you just see the first paragraph of each one, and then you can click expand as you want to see uh, and continue reading, you know, just to make it really simple. But that's one good way of doing it. and You'll get really, really robust uh, testimonials.
1: The last question I had for you, Michael, is you mentioned earlier about the seven core self-promotion strategies. Do you think you could tell us what those seven strategies are and how we can apply each individual strategy effectively to help us promote our business?
0: Absolutely. So seven core self-promotion strategies, you know, um, you guys have heard of them. This is not a new, they're not new concepts, but you've heard of networking, direct outreach, referrals, keep in touch. Speaking, writing, and the web. There's seven. Okay. There. Okay. So networking, direct outreach, and direct. See, to me, networking is networking within the people that you already know. Yeah. Direct outreach is meeting people that you do not yet know but would like to know. Referrals is obviously getting referrals. Keeping in touch is keeping in touch with all these different people, and and not just one to one, but one to many. And then speaking, public speaking, straightforward writing, writing articles, writing reports, um, using writing as a public. Uh, as a, market, as a uh, self-promotion strategy, and then using the web uh, as your seventh. But of these, um, um, of these strategies, only four of them are mandatory. Three mm-hmm. of them, to me, are optional. This, this surprises people. So mandatory is networking, direct outreach, referrals, and keep in touch. I mean, if you're not networking, ah, how are you building relationships with the people that you've met? If you're not doing direct outreach, how are you meeting more people that you should know? Who are going to be yeah. able to put clients in your business? If you're not, you know, working on sending referrals and getting referrals, how are you increasing your referral quotient? If you're not keeping in touch with, you know, the individuals in your in your um, in your sales cycle, uh, you know, to eventually move them to clients and customers, uh, I, I don't know how you're going to book business. So th- those four things are mandatory to me. But speaking, public speaking. You know why you don 't have to be a public speaker if you don 't want to be? Why would you ever do something as crazy as public speaking if you don 't want to? You know they say the number one fear is public speaking. Um, yeah. uh, and the second uh, fear is death, so interestingly, the Jerry Seinfeld made a joke uh, yeah. once, and'll I'll, you know I, I certainly can 't tell the way Jerry Seinfeld did it, but you know, he said basically, so that means that people would rather be um, giving would rather be dead in the box at a funeral than giving the eulogy. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, if you're not one of those people who just loves to speak and is just really naturally talented at it, it's why don't? You don't need to do it. Okay? But if you do like to speak and you're talented at it, you've developed skills for it, then it'll supercharge your efforts. You know, really, you pick that one, it'll really add a lot of juice, certainly. Same exact thing is true with writing. If you're not a writer, don't write. I mean, why why waste your time doing it? But if you want to develop yourself into a writer, practice writing and see if you can develop that skill. Mm-hmm. See if there's some hidden talent in there, certainly. Um, again, I never thought I was a writer, and it turned out that I could write okay. Um, and uh, but it will supercharge your efforts certainly if you you know can get a lot of writing in big publications that have a lot of exposure to your target audience. And, but then then the web is the surprising one because I I list that as optional. And people are like what? Are you crazy? Oh my God! The whole world <laughs> is social media. Everything's the web. What are you yeah. a lunatic? <laughs> and I say, well, yes, maybe I'm a lunatic, but in this case. I don't think I am. I, I, of course, I'm a oh, look, I love the web. You, you Google Michael Port, You will see I'm everywhere. I can possibly be. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it's because that's where my target audience is and I like technology. So I'm into using the web for marketing. If you're trying to get book solid, you know, and you don't need a gazillion, I mean, literally a gazillion clients, then you might not need uh, the massive exposure that the, that the web brings. Um, and so, yes, obviously having a, a website that starts a conversation, builds a relationship, demonstrates your, you know, your, your, your brand identity, your personal brand identity, etc. cetera, um, is, is important and helpful and wonderful, and I would recommend it to anybody. And you can do that with a one-page website. I mean, you don't need a big, big web presence. But pay-per-click advertising, search engine optimization, link exchanges, all that stuff. You don't need to do that unless it's something that you really want to put a lot of focus on because my concern with most business owners is that they're, they're spread too thin and then they get a little bit of a lot of stuff instead of a lot of a few things which then really can create that aggregate, um, in one place in the same way with consistency because consistency, uh, demonstrates credibility people think you're consistent you keep showing up in the same way they'll find you credible as long as they like that way you're showing up
1: brilliant michael thank you very much for that where can we go to find out more about you and your books
0: michaelport.com is the best place because it's a, it's really a portal no pun intended to all the different uh, things that i uh, offer and you get free chapters from all my books there um and uh, my newsletter that you know uh, keeps people up to date what's going on
1: Great. That's the end of today's show. Thank you for listening in. And Michael, a special thanks to you for coming on the show.
0: You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
1: The Online Marketing Show.
0: Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.